Good morning. My name is Kevin. I am lead pastor at Restoration Church. Thank you so much for joining us this morning with this online service. I love the fact that even though we can't gather physically, we can still gather over the medium of the internet, where we can still, in unity, uh, worship our Savior together. We can still study scripture together and still connect in this way. So thank you so much for joining us this morning. Listen, if you are watching on Facebook, I want to encourage you to interact in the comments. Uh, consider the comments section of the Facebook post to be kind of like uh, the lobby of the church. So have an opportunity to interact with one another, to greet one another. Uh, we'll ask some questions during, the, during this video to, to respond to those questions. And just use that comment section as the lobby of the church. I want to thank again just the worship team. Uh, it brings me such joy that they have a love for the church and that they want to allow us to continue to worship with one another, even from the comfort of our own living room. So thank you, worship team, for putting these videos together. Uh, it's such a joy for us to be able to worship, uh, worship the Lord from the comfort of our living rooms. As I start out today, I was thinking about how so many of us, we can look back at the course of our life, and there tends to be a single event, a single day, that broke our rhythms, that changed normal for us forever and altered our life. In fact, one of my, I'm going to date myself here, one of my favorite TV shows, I grew up in the uh, 90s, I was born in the 80s, grew up in the 90s, my favorite TV show growing up was Fresh Prince of Bel-Air. And if you're familiar, it's about Will Smith and how there is a single event in his life that changed the course of his life. And so if you are unfamiliar with that show, Here's the intro that they played before every episode, the intro song, and here's, here's how it goes. Now, this is a story all about how my life got flipped, turned upside down, so sit a minute, just sit right there, I'll tell you how I became the prince of a town called Belair. In West Philadelphia, born and raised on the playground, is where I spend most of my days, chilling out, loo, relaxing, all cool, shooting some bebo outside of the cool school. When a couple of guys were up to no good, started making trouble in my neighborhood, I got in one little fight, my mom got scared and said, you're moving with the auntie and uncle to a place called Belair a white guy to rap on a video. Listen, if you have not liked this video, give me some love. Hit the like button. Maybe if you've liked it, maybe change that like to a love. Come on, give me some love with that. But isn't that true? Where we're, so many times uh, we have uh, a single event that changed the course of our life. Maybe for you, maybe it was when your, your boyfriend proposed to you. Maybe it was the day that you found out you were pregnant. Maybe it was the day that you got that dream job. Maybe for you it was the day that you found out you got accepted into your number one school choice for, for college. And maybe for you, maybe that was a negative event. Maybe it was the day that you found out you had cancer. Maybe it was the day that a loved one unexpectedly passed away. Maybe for you, maybe it was the day that the abuse started. So many of us have these times in our life, single events, single days that change everything for us. In fact, in some sense, I think that is where our society is right now. I mean, it wasn't just a month ago. My wife and I sat down and began making our, our plans and scheduling out what our spring was going to look like. We have five kids in our family, and springtime becomes a very busy season for us. And I, I love the busyness. I love the rhythms of this, the busyness in this season. 
for our family, we end up in the springtime, we have two kids in tra on track teams. We have one kid on a baseball team. We have three kids taking piano. We have one uh, kid in ballet. We have one kid in student leadership. We have four kids involved in youth group. We have one kid looking for a, a job. We have another one that's involved in the worship team. On top of that, my wife has a busy job. And me, I've got Easter to plan for. And so we sat down and started looking at what the spring was going to look like. And we are so busy, it almost takes a mathematician to build this extravagant Excel spreadsheet for us just to keep track of everything that is in front of us. And I'll be honest, I've said this, I love that season. I love the busyness, the rhythms. I thrive in it. But in the past few weeks, as we've begun to realize just how serious the coronavirus is, and all of those things are canceled. In fact, the, the, the Yakima Health District and our state governor uh, initiated this mandatory quarantine uh, in, in our city and in our state. And so all of a sudden we look and we have nothing on our schedule. All our rhythms are upside down. The kids, they're now in the house all the time. Many of us are, are working from home. And so things are completely changed. In fact, I would say that for most of us right now, for most of us, we need good rhythms in our life. Rhythms of this is what school looks like for our family. This is what work looks like. This is how we have fun. This is how we fit church into our life. And this is the rhythm of how our family operates. To some extent, these rhythms give us a sense of control a sense where we can know what to expect and we can figure out how we manage all the details of our life. But just about every one of us, the coronavirus has turned our world upside down. That our rhythms have been thrown out. Kids are home. Uh, many of us, we are working from at home if we're working at all. The, the economy is in turmoil. And, and with all this stuff happening around us, it would be easy for us to be frustrated. It would be easy for us to be in despair. It would be easy for us to freak out. And honestly, some of us, we've already done that. It would be easy for us to have fear that we don't have control and we can't manage all the way that life is being changed in front of us. But here's the good news. The good news is a promise of God that even though we walk through the valley of the shadow of death, even if Satan throws the worst that he can throw at us, we don't have to fear because Jesus is with us and that is enough. In fact, this morning, if you have a Bible, I'm going to invite you to open your Bible to the book of Mark, chapter 4. We're starting a new series today in response to kind of the current state of our world that we're calling Rhythm and Redemption. The idea of this series is in the book of Genesis, God creates the heavens and the earth. He creates everything in perfect rhythm. Well, there's this perfect rhythm between uh, each other. There's this perfect rhythm with God. And, and that's how God created things in perfect rhythm. Genesis chapter 3 comes, the fall of man, and all those rhythms are, are turned flip upside down. They're messed up. And so we live our lives trying to get back and find those rhythms that God created things to be in. And we, we enjoy those rhythms. But then it comes to times like this. Those rhythm, rhythms that we have fought for, those rhythms that we've created, they're completely thrown out. Like Will Smith, our life gets flipped, turned upside down. 
And so this series, we want to have just a number of conversations about these broken rhythms and how we respond, about how we build some new rhythms in our life in the middle of the coronavirus and these restrictions. And also, I want to look in the middle of these rhythms being broken, how this is when God often brings redemption. And that the result oftentimes of these rhythms being broken is this tremendous story of redemption. So today, we're in Mark chapter 4, and this is a story about Jesus and his disciples, and they had a day that their normal rhythms were turned around on them. The context of Mark chapter 4 had been a long couple of days for Jesus. In Mark chapter 3, the uh, religious leaders, the Pharisees, these are the religious leaders of that day, they were angry at Jesus because Jesus is teaching a message different from them. The, the religious leaders, they taught that you had to obey all the rules to, to, for, for faith. But Jesus taught a message about grace and repentance. And so the Pharisees are angry and they start a rumor that says Jesus was controlled by Satan. And then on top of that, further in Mark chapter 3, Jesus' mother and his brothers, they come and they try and kidnap him and take him back to his hometown because they were afraid that Jesus was crazy. They were afraid that he was out of his mind and they had to do something to stop him. And then in Mark chapter 4, Jesus is at the Sea of Galilee and he begins to teach the people. In fact, there's so many people that come to listen to Jesus that he can't get them all in one area. So what he does is he gathers them on the beach and he gets into a boat and he goes out a little ways offshore and begins to teach the people from the boat. He teaches them about what it really means to be a part of God's family. What it means to be a part of God's family for real is that our heart becomes good soil. And we know our heart is good soil if we listen and obey the words that he gives us. So this is where our story picks up in Mark chapter 4, verse 35. It says that when evening came, Jesus said to his disciples, let's go across to the other side. Verse 36 says, leaving the crowd, they took him in a boat and the other boats were with him. Again, Jesus has had these busy couple of days. He just needed a little bit of rest. He needed some space to breathe. So he says, hey, let's get up in our boats and let's go to the other side of the Sea of Galilee where we can get away from the crowds and just have some time to relax. So while they're on the boats, verse 37 says, a great windstorm arose. The waves were breaking into the boat so that the boat was filling up. But Jesus in the stern was asleep on a cushion. And the disciples, they woke him up and said, Teacher, don't you care that we are are perishing? A little bit of context for you. The Sea of Galilee is 700 feet below sea level. And it was known to have these these, uh, uh, downdrafts of wind and these violent thunderstorms that come on very suddenly. Now, Jesus' disciples, many of them were, were experienced fishermen. So they were experienced with these types of storms that started up on the Sea of Galilee. But this storm was incredibly powerful, more powerful than anything they had seen before. And so these experienced fishermen, they couldn't keep up with the regular rhythms of how they would operate the boat in the middle of the storm. That everything they had done as fishermen, all the tools and all the tricks they had to survive the the storm, those things were no longer effective. And it was so bad that the disciples began to fear that they were going to perish. They feared that they were going to die. Listen, some of us, we have experienced uh, storms just like this. They come on very suddenly, where the rhythms of our life are flip-turned upside down, 
where we find ourselves in situations that we have no control over. And maybe for you, what does that look like for you? Maybe for you, maybe it was the day that you got that diagnosis. Maybe for you it was when you had that heart attack. Maybe when you found yourself in a, in a financial crisis where you had some relationship struggles. Maybe it's for you when you began struggling and, and wrestling with depression and anxiety and these different things. In fact, the past few weeks, I would say that the coronavirus restrictions have been much like this storm, where they come on suddenly and they throw our rhythms of normal life out of order. Where the rhythms that we are used to, they're, they're gone. And now the kids are at home trying to figure out what school looks like from home. And some of us, our jobs and our livelihood are at risk. And many of us, we're uncertain how long this is going to last. Some people say it's going to be two weeks. Some people say it'll be six weeks. Some people say it's going to last the entire summer. The thing is, no one really knows. All of this is completely out of our control. The media, 24-7 news cycle, man, I don't think they are a calming presence on us. I think they just stir up this even more, leaving us more anxious. I know some of us watching this are saying, well, my life has a little effect on, uh, my, my life has not had a big impact because of the coronavirus. I'm still working and life goes on. But I, I heard this this week and I think it's true that as this virus spreads, it's going to continue to spread. And they said that within the next week that many of us will know somebody who's been infected with the coronavirus. And they, they suggested that within the next month because of the spread that most of us will know someone who has died because of the coronavirus. Listen, we have the storm blowing all around us and I think the worst is still yet to come. And here's the disciples. They've got this huge storming, storm raging all around them. The water is filling up in the boat. They're fearful they're going to drown. And their question is, where's Jesus? He's asleep in the back of the boat. The disciples wake Jesus up and are like, Jesus, don't you care? Don't you care that we're afraid? Don't you care that we're about to drown? And I think that story of the disciples asking Jesus that question, it, it probably connects to some of us. Because at times of storms and chaos, the times that our rhythm is broken, it's easy to feel like, man, my boat is sinking. God, where are you? God, are you asleep? God, are you absent? Are you unaware of what's happening? I think we are often quick to think like the disciples, quick to think that we're alone, quick to think that God doesn't know what is happening, quick to thinking that God doesn't care what we're going through and how we're feeling. But the truth is, the truth is that God is aware of every wave that overtakes us. God knows our innermost thoughts, our innermost feelings, our dreams. God knows all things. He knows our fears. He knows our anxiety. He knows our stress. He's not absent and oblivious to these things. So the story continues in verse 39. It says that Jesus awoke and he rebuked the wind and he said to the sea, Peace, be still. And the wind ceased and there was a great calm. I love that picture. The first words that Jesus says is calm, be still. And suddenly, the essential hurricane comes to a complete stop. And in that moment, the wind immediately dies down and the waves are immediately calmed. And this is a truth that we can hold on to. That if God is powerful enough to calm the storm of the sea, then that means there's nothing that God doesn't have power over. And I hope that is good news for you this morning. 
When you start looking around at the world around you, look at the economy, you look at your job situation, you look at your relational struggles, you look at the coronavirus, there is nothing, there is nothing that God does not have power over. That in a moment, all God has to do is speak and the storm blowing around us can be calmed. So the story continues. And Jesus, after he speaks to the wind and the the storm, he turns to the disciples and he says to them, why are you so afraid? Do you still not have faith? What do you think the tone that Jesus said that statement would have been? Would that have been said in in anger, in in frustration, maybe in in disbelief? Kind Kind of like this idea like, Are you serious? You still are afraid? You still don't believe in me? You still don't trust in me? See, when Jesus says you still don't have faith, you still don't understand it, he's pointing them back. He's pointing them backwards to say, listen, I've given you enough to have faith in me. He's saying, remember all that you've seen me do. And these disciples, just in the short time of following Jesus, they have seen Jesus heal Simon Peter's mother-in-law when she was sick. In the short time, these disciples have seen Jesus raise the widow's son from the dead. They've seen Jesus turn water into wine. They've seen Jesus do all sorts of miracles. And on top of that, they have witnessed Jesus teaching about the kingdom of God and reiterating again and again that God says, I will never leave you nor forsake you. And Jesus says, in spite of these things, you still, you still don't have faith. You still don't trust in me. See, I don't think Jesus is is irritated that they woke him up from his nap. I think he's frustrated that they doubted his care, despite all the evidence that he had given them. The story concludes in verse 41. It says, the disciples were filled with great fear. They said to one another, who then is this that even the wind and the sea obey him. Now honestly, for us, it's easy for us to be like the disciples and hear this story and to latch on to the power of God, that God has the power to calm the storms of our life, that God has the power to heal the coronavirus, that God has the power to heal cancer and to repair our marriage and to provide our basic needs and to heal our anxiety in our hearts and to help us overcome addiction and to fix all the bad things in our life. And it's true. God has that power. But that is not the message of the story. The message of the story is in the middle of the storm. Jesus turns to the disciples and says, you still don't have faith. You still don't believe. You still don't trust. Look at all I've already done for you. The message is not that God has power to calm the storm and praise God he does. But the message is that, is, that, is that in the middle of the storm, and the worst that Satan can throw at us, the message is that God is with us. We don't have to doubt his presence. We can trust that he is with us in whatever storm we're facing. That in the, that in the middle of the storm of the coronavirus, in the middle of the fact that our rhythms Uh, that bring us a sense of comfort, have been knocked down, leaving us maybe with a sense of anxiety because we don't have any control. That as we try and build new rhythms that give us an additional sense of anxiety of just figuring out what life looks like, that Jesus would say to us, do you still not have faith? Do you still not trust me? Do you still not believe that I am with you? Again, when Jesus says still, 
He's telling us, I want you to look back to what I've done in your life. What has God done in your life? How has God proven himself faithful to you? I mean, I can look back in my life and I can look back and see a number of things that God has just been so good to show himself to me. I think about how God protected me and allowed me to be adopted through the Washington State foster system with a family who loved me and raised me in a good home. I can think back about how God has given me unconditional love of a father after my dad died when I was young. I can look and see how God has given me a wife that I don't deserve, that is the embodiment of unconditional love. I can look back and see how God has given me five kids that all love the Lord, five kids that all have tremendous potential, more potential to attain more than I could ever in my own life. I can look back and see how God has carried me through physical suffering. I can look back and see how God has given me the skills to pastor a church that I love. God has done so much for me. Even beyond those physical things, I, look at, I can look and see how God has sent his son Jesus to the cross in my place, taking my sin upon himself and giving me his righteousness, a righteousness that I don't deserve, giving me the ability to be called a son of God. I can look back and see how God has given me the assurance of his love and his word. That as I read his word, he assures me of his love for me. In fact, I think about the promise in, in Romans 8.18. Uh, Romans 8.18 says, For I consider the sufferings of this present time not worth comparing to the glory that is going to be revealed in us in heaven. And all these things that God has done to, to, to prove his faithfulness, to prove his love, to prove his presence, that I can trust him. And so here I am in the middle of the storm of the coronavirus. I don't have to fear that I know, that I can be assured without a doubt that if God has been with me through all of that, that certainly God is with me today in the middle of this storm. Listen, what has God done in your life? How has God shown himself faithful? How has God carried you through the hard things in life? How has God extended to you grace and undeserved favor in your life? In fact, here's what I'd love for you to do. I would love for you today, grab a, a pen and a journal and write some of these things down. Maybe you start talking with your family. Maybe there's someone in your family who's struggling with fear right now. Maybe you could just recount to them how God has been faithful to you. Spend some time doing that today. Recount the faithfulness of God and your life. Because here's, here's where we get really practical. Because the secret to faith, the secret to our faith, faith is not just a feeling. Faith isn't something that we have just when we feel it. Faith is not an impulse. Faith is not even automatic. I think what Mark chapter 4 teaches us is faith is an exercise. Faith is a muscle. Is a muscle. It's something we have to exercise. Faith is an action. Faith is a choice that we look at the evidence around us and we act on that truth. That God says, here's everything, here's everything I've given you that you need to have faith in me, that you need to believe, that you need to trust in me. And the question for you and the question for me is, 
in the middle of the storm, in the middle of our rhythms that bring security being flipped, turned upside down, in the middle of us trying to figure out what the new rhythms of life look like, the question for us is, will we choose faith? Will you choose to believe and trust that God is with you? Will you choose to believe that God is with us? Listen, oftentimes, our life will look like that palm footprints in the sand where we don't understand what God is doing. But we'll be able to be able to look back and see, man, God was with us the entire time. He never left us nor forsook us. And you know what the benefit is when we choose faith? When we choose to, to live out our faith and, and put it into action? Is in the middle of the storm. Jesus, he says, why are you afraid? Do you still not believe? And what that teaches us is that when you have faith, when faith is active, fear vanishes. When faith is active, fear vanishes. That when we put our faith in Him, we no longer have to fear. Because the God who is powerful to calm enough, to, the God who is powerful enough to calm the storm with a single word, He's not far away. He's not absent. He's not oblivious. He is present with us. And that is what matters most. That with a single word, he can calm the storm and redeem the brokenness that we are experiencing. Oftentimes, though, what I found is God doesn't always calm the storm. And there's times we go through life and we begin, man, God, I don't understand what you're doing and why. But when faith is active, when we choose to believe him, we choose to believe his word, to trust him, that we can trust his word that says God is working things out for our good and for his glory. And that's my challenge for you this morning. In the middle of our rhythms being broken, in the middle of us trying to figure out what new looks like because our normal has been thrown out, will you choose faith? Will you choose to believe? Will you choose to believe that God is with you? Will you choose faith over fear today? I want us to reflect on that truth. The truth that God is present in our life. The truth of God's word. To choose faith to remind ourselves that we are not alone. That God is with us. In fact, I think about that famous psalm, Psalm 23. It says, Yea, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, even the worst that Satan can throw at us, I will fear no evil. I will fear no coronavirus. I will fear no uncertainty. I will fear not having control. For you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Let's choose to exhibit faith. Let's choose faith over fear. Would you pray with me? God, I thank you so much just for this reminder of who you are. I thank you for this story. God, I pray that we would believe that you are powerful enough to calm the storms of our life. I pray that we would see you as the one who is able to do all things. But God, more importantly, I pray, God, that we would see that you are with us. And that God, as long as you are with us, that we can get through any storm in our path. That you will walk through us in these things. God, I pray today that you help us to remind ourselves of the times that you have shown yourself faithful in our life. That we'd be mindful of all the things that you've done for us. That we'd be mindful of all the promises you've given in your word. 
Are we mindful of you sending your son to the cross in our place? That we would look and see that, God, you have given us all that we need to believe today. You've given us all that we need to put our faith in you today, to trust that you are with us. And God, I pray that we would be a people who choose faith. That when fear and anxiety come upon us, that we would think back and reflect and choose to believe. That we would choose faith over fear. God, I thank you that you are so good to us. I thank you that you are near in this time, that you are present with us. And I pray, God, that we would feel that presence now. And God, I love you and praise you and thank you so much for just this reminder today. We ask this in your holy and precious name. Amen.